1: This episode of Bumps Along The Way discusses topics related to mental health and miscarriage that may be distressing or triggering to some listeners. Please take care while listening and seek support if needed. You're listening to Bumps Along The Way, a weekly podcast hosted by me that explores unique and bumpy roads to pregnancy. In today's episode, I interview perinatal mental health specialist Robine Padberg around the impact trying to conceive can have on your mental health. We discuss the loop of hope and heartbreak, how we can practice self-love during this process, better support people around us who are trying to conceive, and the impact this can have on your relationship with your partner. There's a lot I took out of this episode, and I hope you will too. Yeah, Rabin, thank you so much for joining me on Bumps Along the Way. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I thought maybe what we could do is just start by introducing you, talking about your you know, your life so far, your education, what you do for a living and let people really get to know a bit more about
0: you. Great. Um, Well, my name is Robine Padberg-Hill. I am a cisgender white female that is born and raised in the Netherlands. Um, I have been educated in different places in the world. So I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Amsterdam and my graduate degree um, in Boston at a college called Wheelock College, which is now Boston University. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to grad school for social work and um, kind of lingered in the U.S. for about 10 years after Um, and yeah, started my professional career there. I did a lot of racial justice work in the early stages of my career. So I worked with a lot of white folks and folks of color, just giving education on racism and systemic racism and how that impacts mental health wow. and physical health and, um, kind of slowly segued into more substance abuse treatment. Then I went into community mental health and slowly progressed into my private practice where I work with, um, where I primarily work with women going through life transitions. So think of anything from relationship issues to grief and loss to, um, perinatal mental health, which is what I'll explain a little bit more about, Um, trauma. um, So a lot of major life transitions that affect women's mental mental health. Okay. And and what made you decide to get into that line of work? Interestingly, I started my private practice about a year after I became a mom myself. So I also have a three-year-old almost three year old, he'll be three in two weeks, Um, three year old boy. And um, while I had him during the pandemic, I was still working in community mental health and realizing that that was not sustainable for my mental health, also as a mom and trying to, you know, make everything work because the situation in community health, community mental health can be a, a bit exploitive. So I decided to go into private practice after I had my son and, you know, really connected with moms going through fertility issues or pregnancy or postpartum, just because I had such a unique experience myself becoming a mom during the pandemic and how that affected my mental health. And so already working with women um, and that really being my jam, I, um, I started to just kind of narrow my specialization to moms, moms to be expecting moms. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's really born out of your own experiences as well. So you, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I don't think I would be perinatal mental health certified today if I wasn't a mom myself
1: wow and and what does that mean perinatal mental health certified
0: yes good question so so just to kind of clarify too my um professional development and growth and education is based in the u s so a lot of the terms that I'll use you know are um u s based or are familiar in the u s and I'll try to kind of um you know generalize it as much as I can to the rest of the world. But if we're talking about terms in general, perinatal means everything from uh, pregnancy to one year postpartum. But that also includes fertility issues, right? Being in the process of trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that's what perinatal stands for. And then mental health is, you know, pretty obvious. Uh, And then um, certified is... Uh, A professional that has taken the required uh, coursework and spent the required uh, amount of hours specializing in this specific area and needs to have been examined and um, passed and graduated from specific coursework. Okay, nice.
1: And I'm curious because I can
0: understand, of course,
1: the postpartum mental health and maybe even the pregnancy. How often are people coming to you in the stage that I'm in now the trying to conceive part are people actively seeking support for their mental health during this process or do
0: you see it more
1: commonly later
0: you know that's a great question i think um i'm seeing it more and more but what the issue is with um folks that are trying to get pregnant is that there's often this this notion of the unexpected, right? I didn't know that it was going to be so difficult for me. Wow, I'm all of a sudden finding myself in this situation. And what does that mean? And it's really having a, a large impact on my mental health, my social functioning, my relationship. And so what, what happens often to folks that are seeking help during this phase is that they didn't expect themselves they didn't expect to find themselves there so quickly, struggling so quickly. So maybe that's something that you could share a little bit about. Yeah.
1: No, what you just said rings so true. I mean, I think I went into this process pretty underprepared. I think I was quite naive about it. There are lots of different reasons why. I think the most, like compelling reason is probably just maybe I didn't let myself think about it. So you wake up every morning, you go on social media, you see all these beautiful baby announcements. Mm -hmm. It looks easy. I think society kind of makes it look easy. You don't often hear the story behind it. And I guess I just thought I'd fall into that category as well of, oh, we'll get married. And then this time next year, we'll have our little one in our arms. Yeah. and yeah it really took me by surprise the fact that this doesn't work easily for many people um yeah there are a lot of statistics that i've since learned and part of this podcast is trying to get those statistics out so that more people in the world are less taken aback and less surprised than i was but you're right the the journey i'd say for me the first 2 3 months i was good i just you know, it was in the rhythm of it. We were having fun with it. You're very optimistic. You're very hopeful. You're very innocent. I think as yeah. well, playful, right? Yeah, it's really playful. But then I think coming into month four, five, six, I started feeling maybe a bit confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I'm not talking about it with anyone. And I think that's a big part of this—not problem, but this taboo around trying to conceive. You do then lock it up and keep it to yourself, or at least I did.
0: Yeah. And maybe we can get to the taboo or the stigma in a little bit and first go over some stats, like you said, you know, because um, what's and and again, this for me is U.S. based. But I'm sure that if we're talking about the Western world, these numbers can be fairly generalizable. But infertility, right, means not being able to get pregnant after one year of trying Mm -hmm. or after six months. If a woman is 35 or older. Okay. Age depends or, you know, has an impact on this number too. And about 10% of U.S. women, right? So I'm still saying U.S. because I just want to be careful with the stats. Uh, About 10% of U.S. women ages 15 to 44 have difficulty getting pregnant or staying pregnant. So that's about 6.1 million women in the USA. Wow. And then... It affects approximately one in eight couples, which is a lot more than I think um, you know we expect. And then there's obviously disparities in infertility rates amongst communities of colors or marginalized, yeah. right? Because it also depends on what kind of resources are available. Yeah. Um so that's that's kind of the stats that I think we're working with, give or take a little bit. Um, But the one in eight couples really kind of duck with me. Yeah. Um, Because that's a
1: lot. That's a lot. It's a lot of people, yet it doesn't feel like it feels like a silent struggle. And when you're in it, you really feel like you're in it by yourself. So it is quite surprising to hear that one in eight couples are struggling with this challenge because I certainly felt very alone Mm -hmm. and, I think that's why then the mental health journey of this has also been quite surprising because if it's so common why can we not find a place to connect and a person to help us get through this
0: Yeah and I think I think that that is such a good segue into talking about the stigma or the shame around it right because yeah. I think we're, we're, especially as women, we're so programmed by or, or pressured or conditioned by society, I should say, to, you know, bear children or be a mom. I think it goes into just... We're, we're we're young children and we get gifted a doll or we practice with motherhood or taking care of another human being and really programming and nurturing that that sense of taking care of others right yeah it starts at such a young age in terms of what we're supposed to be be able to do and what we're supposed to fulfill, right? What kind of societal expectation? And then it go from the macro, it kind of goes into the micro in terms of our parents maybe asking when they're gonna be grandparents or other women around you that are having kids. Hey, when are you guys starting? Yeah they know you've been trying for months or years, right? So there's really this sense of, you know, miseducation too, among how high these rates really are, because if more folks knew, and if we could break through the stigma and shame, I think it would be a lot easier for couples that struggle with this.
1: Oh, I completely agree. You know, I never actually thought about the Getting given a little doll when you're small, you're right. It it starts then. I think yeah. often about school. When you're in school, they don't teach you about fertility. They don't teach you about your menstrual cycle. They don't teach you anything. They teach you if you have sex, you'll get pregnant. So don't do it.
0: <laughs> right, Up- abstain. Right, because yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> like it's so, that easy.
1: Yeah. So then that also, you know, then you become an adult and you do want to start trying. And then I think people like me are so underprepared because you've had this education through your whole life. You've spent your life trying to avoid the very thing that you now so badly want. And, you know, I wonder, I often think about this taboo and this stigma and why is it? Why don't we talk about trying to conceive? And do you think it's because maybe we're ashamed of looking like we're failing or do you think what you mentioned is more true? Like we're just avoiding the questions the constant, hey, when are you guys going to try? Or, you know, what is the reason indeed that we don't feel like we can just
0: share? Yeah, I think, you know, and I find this topic to be so incredibly interesting. And a lot of my work is centered around this. But I think shame is one of the most profound emotions that we can experience as human beings. And that is the the most protected in our systems as well. So we try to not get to shame because it feels so uncomfortable, right? Mm. And I think that or we try to avoid shame, we try to protect shame, because it's such an uncomfortable experience. And I think that when we talk about societal expectations or partner expectations or um, just expectations of self, right? Like what we're supposed to be able to provide for our partners or for our families. Um, yeah, that that sense of shame can be really, really profound. And um, it's hard to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and maybe that's also an element of not knowing who to seek comfort from. Yeah, I of course. Something I thought was, I'm alone in this journey because I I'm where I am. So I felt like, okay, say I'm at month seven now, or eight, or nine. What are the chances that I can connect with someone who's at the exact same stage as me? Right. But does it doesn't right. need to be that way? It doesn't necessarily need to be someone on the exact same level. We just need support in general, right?
0: Well, I agree. And it doesn't even need to be someone that has walked the same path, right? As long as it's someone that's willing to listen and can show up and hold space for you, I think is really important. But that doesn't happen often, unless people have gone through something similar, um, because it's that shared experience that really creates more compassion. But I know that in my life, I have people around me that have struggled with fertility. And I think the most important thing is just to listen, right? Sometimes when people share their experience, we go into problem-solving mode. Like, oh, have Mm. you tried this? Or, oh, maybe you should do acupuncture or all that kind of, you know. (laughs) Support or tips, but that can actually be even more dismissive or be experienced as more dismissive because it's like, well, I'm just here trying to share how hard this has been. I just need you to hold space for me. And I think that that is something specifically that Dutch people do. Now, that is something that I think I can generalize to, you know, my own culture is that we're not the best listeners, you know, and um, specifically in these kind of tender experiences. Um, I think it's important that the folks around you don't go into problem solving well, but just let you share what it's what it's like.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that you say this because I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with advice. Um, advice is always so well-intended and you know that it comes from a good place, but very often the advice that you're receiving, or you think, okay, no, I already know this, mm-hmm. or you think, It's just not what I wanted to hear in that moment.
0: Right. And when
1: you, yeah, when you open up and you do get vulnerable and you do start to share about this taboo topic, the last thing you want is someone telling you, oh, don't worry, you know, someone else has it worse or you're lucky because of this, or even just giving you the stats again, which the stats are helpful, but you don't want to fall into those stats yourself. No, so it doesn't no.
0: make you feel better at all. <laughs> right. And and I also always recommend for for people um, to just give them some pointers on how to support folks that are going through their own fertility journey is to ask, right? Would it be helpful if I give you some advice on this? Because, you know, I have a sibling that went through this and they now have a healthy child? Or would you just like me to listen? I think asking questions is can be a really good way to gauge where we're at in the conversation, um, rather than to assume this is what you need.
1: Yeah, that's such great advice. I think, yeah, how to show up for your friend or family member that's struggling. I actually had this conversation with a girlfriend in London recently. I was kind of venting this topic, you know, the advice, the advice. And uh she said to me, What would you rather people say? And I said, honestly, I wish people would just say, I'm sorry, and I'm here for you. And, you know, what you said, Rabin, just giving me space to just kind of let it out and not necessarily feel like they need to fix it or solve it for me. Um because yeah, that can that can create a sort of internal friction or something.
0: Yeah, I have a great video on this also that I can provide you with for yeah. um, folks that are going through their own fertility um, journey, and it's a video that they could send to their friends and family in terms of how to be best supported. Um, so I can add that to our little uh, resource portion at the end. That would be amazing. Thank you. It is
1: difficult, and I can imagine. You know, this is such a deeply emotional and personal topics. So if your friend or your loved one comes to you, I can imagine a lot of people might sort of stumble or not feel like they don't know how to best support them. So yeah, any resources we can talk about, I think would be great to share as much as we can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. Um, Maybe it would be a good kind of segue to talk into or to talk about what you and I briefly discussed on the phone, what we call kind of the the, the loop of hope and heartbreak in terms of your cycle and what emotions come with that. Yeah. Uh, what comes up for you when when I say that?
1: Exhausted. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think for me, um,
1: oh, I love what you referred to it as the loop of hope and heartbreak or the loop of disappointment I think it was yeah yeah it's not something I saw coming Mm. as I mentioned earlier you know for the first few months you're still very excited very innocent very hopeful but then as you start getting into more and more months you start getting confused it probably does start having a bit of an impact on how you show up in the world I know I I probably stopped answering a lot of phone calls at one point I probably stopped going to a lot of Dinners and birthdays because, yeah, it is exhausting. And you also have that two week wait, which was also something that I didn't realize. Yeah. Where you're just waiting to know has this worked or not? And can I drink? Can I go out? Can I do a tough gym class? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of um, anxiety going on in my head during this time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of unknown. So, yeah, I guess that loop, to put it one way, is you start up here with hope. Right. And, and then you kind of move into agitation and and waiting and curiosity. Sure, yeah. For me, then every month I've gone into, you know, the disappointment and the anguish and the, yeah, the frustration of it not working. And then that loop kind of starts again. yeah. And, it it really is a bit of a vicious cycle. And the, that two week wait feels like two months, of course,
0: <laughs> time stands really? still. Time just passes so slowly. Yeah. yeah. And it's definitely, you know, there are so many different emotions in such a short amount of time. I mean, depending on your cycle, of course, and how long your cycle is, but it is a short amount of time if we're thinking about it. And just when you do get your period again, and that heartbreak is there, you kind of go into grief, right? This mini, mini grief every month. And then fairly shortly after you have to kind of come up with this forced optimism to go try another time. Yeah, like
1: a week and a half later. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's also so difficult because you don't have a lot of time to really properly process your emotions and what's happening because after every moment of heartbreak and grief, we have to start again. Yes. Yeah. it can feel very dismissive to your system in terms of what's happening inside because you have to almost... Forced to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, right? Yes. A hundred percent. And you yeah. have
1: to keep showing up. You know, yes. I have a full-time job. I'm nine to five. I manage a team of people. Yeah. You know, you've got to, no matter which phase of that loop you're in, you've got to show up in the world. And show up. Yep. That's why the word exhausted came to mind because, you know, um I'm expecting my period maybe this weekend, um, or not, you know, I'm in this two-week wait now. And this will be, I think, the 10th month. And I know, of course, there are a lot of people out there who may hear this and think, oh, for us it's two years or for us it's three years. But I don't think that is what matters. I don't think we should be comparing the length of the journey. I think you're so right in every month is its own vicious cycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it almost feels unfair to not recognize your disappointment in month 10 as much as we would recognize someone in year three, which I understand that the length of trying definitely impacts mental health, right? But there's also disappointment in month 10 and there's disappointment in month two. Well, yeah, for sure.
1: Every month is a month too long. And I am curious from your perspective, you know, how can people get themselves through this and take care of their mental health and self-nurture? Because you're right, it's it's constant. It doesn't end. It's a very short time period with a very sort of, yeah, vicious emotional
0: cycle. High highs, low lows, right, in a very short time, which is taxing on – anyone's system. And so, um, yeah, it's important to have some, some, some resources at hand to kind of help you navigate through that. I think what's really important is just kind of mostly identify and acknowledge your feelings and fears, right? So if you have some awareness of what's happening, why it's happening, then we can create space for those feelings to be there. What I think and this is hard in the fertility process is because the process is fairly quick, you know, not all our feelings or fears may be addressed the way that they need to be. So if you can have awareness inside of what's happening and cr- really create space for yourself. So maybe that does mean not going to all the dinners that are scheduled, right? Maybe mm. that does mean that you're unable to give 100% at work for a while. Or maybe that does mean that you're, you know, isolating a bit more to just kind of nurture and take care of yourself. It looks different for everyone, right? But really giving yourself the space to process, I think is important. Then also, understanding your options, right? And that's very difficult in the beginning of getting pregnant or in the beginning of the fertility journey, because by most medical professionals, you're going to be dismissed until you've been trying for a year. Yep, yeah, we have been, you have yeah. the choice to either wait well, or lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that's really discouraging because you're like, well, I don't waiting a year feels like waiting forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, I think it's important to get either support from folks online or um, if you can do some consultation or coaching, if it's not necessarily a a medical appointment yet or an appointment with a medical provider, maybe there are some steps um, that we can take to kind of prepare um there are also at home kind of fertility testing kits that I know a lot of my clients use to just kind of track their cycle and mm-hmm. see and test if you're making eggs things like that.
1: Oh, I didn't know about that. I mean, we use ovulation sticks. Yes. So what at least is- you can try and
0: time yeah. it a little bit and feel yeah. a bit more in control. Right. There are nowadays some more intensive at home testing kits too for fertility um which, you know, you could lean on a little during this you're not allowed to step into my office yet um as the doctor says you know before a year so just understanding your options i think is important if we're unable to take the medical route what are some options before then can we try holistic um options you know can we do more at home testing um getting a coach getting a consultation you know those can also be costly, but there are some options that um, we could look into. Then being open and honest with your partner, I think we'll dive in a little bit more, but that support is going to be key, right? If you are just unable to share this experience or the the loop of disappointment or hope and heartbreak without your significant other, this process is going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. More difficult, right? It's difficult already. Um, Getting support, therapy, finding a therapist that is perinatal mental health certified or support groups. I'll put some free support groups in our resources as well that are offered through Postpartum Support International. Mm -hmm. Um, It's American-based, but they have international chapters as well. So there should be support groups online. And then just taking care of yourself, right? Mm. Self-care and really spending that time with yourself. What's happening in this process? What's coming up for me? If you can make sure that the relationship with yourself is one that is strong and solid and safe, mm. um, that's really going to get you far in this process. If it's broken, if which obviously can happen too, right? Yeah. Um, but that's a big one, I think.
1: Yeah, I heard a lot out of what you just said. Um, so thank you for that. One of the things that I'm very grateful that I started doing about a year ago is journaling. And yeah, for me, I love to write. So even before we were starting trying, I was, I'm was i writing a few pages every day. And before this conversation, I I went back and I read what I was writing in that moment. And oh, it's it's someone so um, like empty and lost and especially around the time of the miscarriage, mm. um, just so confused. And I guess that was my outlet. That was my way of expressing it. And, you know, when you write, you have to attach a word to a feeling. So what you said about being aware and knowing and understanding what's going on, I found writing very helpful to, rationalize these
0: absolutely very heavy emotions. Yeah. To just get into relationship with what's what's going on inside, right? Yeah. But how could people how could people
1: do this if they don't write? You know, if they're not like me. Are there other ways that you can recommend people can get a bit more in touch with themselves and understand how they're feeling? Because I know it's something that a lot of people struggle to verbalize
0: or rationalize as well. Yeah. I think what's most you know when I look at what people advise it's just kind of distract yourself or stay busy and I would actually say the quite the opposite. Yeah. So for me it would be just giving yourself time to connect, right? So go for a walk in the park or meditate or cry or you know just um garden or put your feet in the ground or journal right do things that really give you the opportunity to connect with what's going on and not dismiss it right and not distract from it and not avoid it because that will only take you so far so for me it would go it would just be like go to the basics right so sit in silence spend time with with what's going on inside and i think journaling is a beautiful example of that for myself i've i've never been successful at it but i love to meditate i love to go for long walks i think also don't always distract yourself with podcasts or music right really yeah. have moments of silence um yeah sit with it let yourself yeah. sit with it and yeah. just let yourself feel it you know yeah yeah yeah. I think it's scary for a lot of folks. So we tend to not do that. We tend to distract, right? But right. um that can be experienced as very dismissive to the feelings that actually need to be heard. Yeah. And validated. And, and validated. I think
1: yep. that's something that when we talk about support, I had one girlfriend here who, you know, when we miscarried, I texted her. I texted a few people just, you know, to inform them what had happened. And I'll never forget her words were, just remember everything you're feeling is valid. Mm-hmm. And I get a bit emotional now, even thinking about that moment, because I thought I was going crazy. I right. felt so um, irrational. I mean, because rationally, you know the stats, you know the figures, but your emotional being is is oh heartbroken. Of course. Yeah. And angry. That's I was positive. very angry. Right angry at people with babies, which I know is very, you know, it's not how I feel now at all, but in that moment, and she just said, you know, it's all valid. And I really needed to hear that. And I think when we think about how to show up for your friends, just remind them that all their emotions are valid and real and they all have a place and they're all okay. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. The more community you can create for yourself with folks that actually make you feel, seen and heard um and validated, right? The more successful we'll be in this. And it's hard to share it because it's such a personal experience, right? And there's so much stigma and shame like we talked about earlier. Mm. Um but I do think that support and community can be such a game changer. Yeah. To this journey. Yeah, same. And
1: speaking of support, you also mentioned your partner. Right, right getting on the same page as your partner um I think we've had really challenging moments where we haven't been on the same page. Yep. I've felt um like I'm going through a different level of grief perhaps, or I guess I'm more frustrated or I'm more um emotional about all of this. I mean, from what you've observed in your line of work, what can be the impact on the relationship and I guess, yeah, what have you observed in terms of
0: how people get through this together as a couple? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, I'm not a couples therapist, right? It's not my area of expertise. I do individual work, but I can answer your question kind of generally or briefly. What I've seen, everything from connection to divorce. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I have had some conversations with friends since telling them about this podcast who have really shared with me the strain this has had on their relationship. Um, it was very validating for me to hear that I wasn't alone again um, in, in this and the fact that, you know, I guess the emotional impact or toll or strain can be very different for the woman probably. I'm making generalizations here. Oh, but yeah, yeah, absolutely It is different, yeah, and I think maybe our communication broke down a bit at some points, and that probably didn't um, you know, you're in uncharted waters, aren't you? Yes. How are you supposed to know how to
0: get right. each other through it, let alone yourself right, right, right. and for for you guys specifically, you know, just having gotten married and then being in such, you know, unknown territory so quickly after such a high you know yeah. um must have been really difficult yeah no so, it was yeah but i think for couples what's really important is Again, that connection to self, right, needs to be worked on individually, because if we can connect to self separately, we can come together and connect and have these hard conversations where you could say, hey, about this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing and really giving each other the space to have different experiences. Right. He's not going to experience it the same way you are and vice versa. So I think that that is really important to have the respect and kindness to have different experiences in the process and, um, yeah, allow the hard conversations to be there, right. Mm -hmm. In a, in a kind and understanding way. Mm -hmm. Um, what I also think is like I said, with the individual process, I think for couples too, is to get support as much as you can. Again, in the resources through PSI, there are also support groups for dads um, or dads to be, you know, I think that if the man can kind of, or a significant other can poke through the shame or the stigma a little bit, that could be very helpful as well. Um, And then I think also, taking time to be a couple that doesn't involve the fertility process. So really staying busy with the regular date nights or going out to your favorite restaurants or going away for a weekend, but creating time to have fun outside of this draining process, you know, yeah. because if we are only connecting or if we are, and maybe not even connecting, if we're only, meeting each other in the bedroom or when it's time to take a pregnancy test or an ovulation test, then, you know, where, where did we go? And I think that that is really important to nurture who you were before this process started, because, you know, in your specific experience about and, and Anna were a, a great couple before we embarked on this journey. Right. So remembering that and just, Nurturing that I think is really important. Mm, that's so nice. I didn't think
1: about that actually. I mean, we drew conclusions where we realized, okay, you know, maybe we need to um yeah, go out on a date night, go and have some fun. But I think because we were so exhausted, we'd go on yes. date night and we'd end up fighting. And yeah, yeah. You know, I think what I've learned is this is not a linear process, right? So um there was no one moment where i was suddenly ready to go on date night and have fun and travel and be myself again in the relationship i guess we just have to keep trying and keep working yeah. through it
0: and yeah keep kind of messy right and 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 let it be messy i think you yeah. know for couples that have a solid foundation which i know you guys have but it's, it's not going to be easy. So just let it be messy if possible and know that, you know, hopefully there's better times ahead uh, or better times to come. Um, but if you have the the foundation for there to be difficult times and for, for there to be difficult moments and hard conversations and hard feelings, hard emotions, um, I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, me Have too. faith in each other to be able to lean on each other, even though it's unfamiliar,
1: right? Yeah. And maybe not judge each other's reactions to things either. You know, if if he moves on from something a bit quicker than I do, yeah. let him to, to give him the space to do that.
0: Yeah. yeah. As long as he gives you the space to stay in it, <laughs> stay in it, right? And not yeah. rush you out of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah. If there was, you know, your top number one book, blog, Instagram for people going through this part of the journey, what would it be?
0: Um, I put you on the spot. I know. That's a good one. I really love the book Like a Mother, but I'm blanking on the writer um, and also might not be the most helpful for folks that are still going through the fertility process. Mm. Um. But let me do let me go through my library a little bit and get back to you because um I'm sure that I have great resources for it. I know PSI has great resources for it too, um, but maybe I'll email it to you and then you can put it in the in the yeah, yeah, that would be perfect. yeah, yeah. thank you, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. so I think you know, from my perspective, we've talked a lot about like some of the stats so that people can get familiar with you know the idea that. This is a very worldwide and common, you know, challenge that we're going through. We've Mm -hmm. talked about the loop of hope and heartbreak and how we can better get through that. We've talked about how our loved ones can show up for us. We've unpacked a bit the impact on our relationship. Is there anything else you think that, you know, you want to cover before we end this or any other last, I guess, tips or advice for people who, yeah, may be struggling with their mental health as they go through their fertility journey?
0: Yeah, I think I think for now we've covered a big chunk of the basics. Um I'm, you know, I'll I'll send out my information too if folks ever want to email me or have more questions about things that we didn't cover today. Um Going into what treatment specifically would look like um, when it comes to someone that is looking for support or is looking for therapy would be a whole different episode, but I'm more than happy to answer questions about it in the meantime or come back and do another episode about it um, and specifically let you know how I would treat someone that were to come into my practice with um, these kinds of topics to discuss.
1: Nice. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me is to give it space and give it time and build your community. You know, find your people that will allow you to hold the space and feel supported without overloading you with advice. Because I think when, yeah, when I think about my own process so far and the impact on my mental health and i guess all the things i've done to try and help myself through it i think the biggest thing was just yeah giving it giving it time giving it a place yeah. at one point i did like a week of self love where i i had a massage I got my nails done. I got a facial. I did. Love that. that's, that's great. I, love I did all the things in one week. Where I just thought, <laughs> yeah. okay, this is my week. This um, is my week. That's great. You know, if you have the 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 time and the resources available to really spoil yourself, I think, um, yeah, it's it's just time, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, and I love that. I, I again, I love that you're doing this and and creating more resources for folks that are going through this and um, hopefully it um, it helps someone we know or someone we don't know Um, but I think it's I think it's a wonderful initiative so thank you for letting me be a part of it no thank you thanks so much for being thank you for taking the time
1: I'm so grateful Um, and yeah I really look forward to sharing all the resources that you've mentioned I'm personally very excited to actually explore them myself because a lot of them i didn't know about them either so yeah
0: good great well you're welcome and um yeah good luck thank you